0: Welcome to the Or Delay Pro Cycling Podcast. I'm Wit Yost, and I'm joined, as always, by my good friend and colleague Joe Lindsay. Joe, it's been a little while. What's uh, what's new? What's going on?
1: Uh, well, I'm just watching World Championships, which we're going to talk about a fair bit today. Um, it's a super interesting day today with the individual time trial that we can talk about, but um, but kind of I don't know. There's a lot of like news swirling around this uh, around this World Championships, huh?
0: Yeah, definitely. It's been it's been odd for several reasons. I feel like whenever the World Championships are held outside of one of the tradition- traditional cycling nations, it always seems to, I don't know, just 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 feel different for some reason. Mm-hmm. Um, and I feel like Worlds also just kind of snuck up on me this year, maybe because it's so soon after the Vuelta. I know that it's the same time as it was last year, but I don't know. Maybe I'm still stuck in the old old days of, well... Not the super old days when Worlds used to be in August, but the days when it used to be later in the month, even early in October.
1: Maybe you're like all the journalists who are trying to find out how to get to Bergen yeah <laughs> seriously which apparently is like literally like four plane rides and a train and a car and you know it's 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 kind of uh let's just say it's not not the easiest place to get to i think it's like a six or seven hour drive from oslo uh and you take a flight instead but yeah it's um it's uh, for a world championships that's happening on you know in europe it's definitely one of the more interesting ones to get to
0: yeah beautiful well, I mean, course so far mm-hmm. it's <clears throat> yeah, it looks beautiful. The weather seems to have held off pretty decently so far. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I've really been enjoying. I haven't been able to watch it live just because of work, but um, you know, the the photos and wrap ups, and obviously the uh, the the live recordings that you can watch after the fact on demand in um, the NBC Sports Gold app have been pretty awesome. So mm-hmm. definitely enjoying what we're seeing so far, and certainly enjoying it if you're a fan of Team Sunweb who. Is you know uh, what they've won three three rainbow skin suits yeah so pretty far. Uh,
1: pretty good world championship so far uh, they're basically the world's uh, dominant time trial team the only one that they didn't win was the uh, the women's individual time trial
0: yeah I mean so I think at least on the men's side a lot of people were expecting to see Team Sky continue their you know, season of dominance or late summer of, of dominance. And, and to see Sunweb pull off, I mean, I wasn't an upset that they won the TTT. I, I mean, no, is anything I, an upset I, when you've got Tom Dumoulin?
1: No, not a, not a, uh, not an upset to me because you saw, I mean, obviously they had Tom Dumoulin, they had Leonard Kamna, who was very good at the, uh, at the Vuelta in the time trial. He pulled out primarily to, uh, of the Vuelta, primarily to prepare for Worlds. Uh, Wilco Kelderman obviously was going great at the Vuelta. You had Michael Matthews. Like that, that team was pretty stacked. I think when, you know, there was some quote that TJ van Garderen said last week uh, where he was like, you know, the other teams are afraid of us. And I was like, ah, eh, not so much, but.
0: <laughs> yeah, I don't know where that came from.
1: <laughs> who knows anyway to keep our streak alive of mentioning t.j. van Groder at least once <laughs> so uh what did you think it's of bad. Dumoulin's win today i mean he he crushed the field mm.
0: i mean definitely not surprised um it was nice to see well i it was nice to see chris Froome not win i'm sorry we're going to get into chris Froome and the and and uh, oh, yeah. his victory at the vuelta uh momentarily um I have to imagine that that after winning the tour and winning the the, the Vuelta, Froome was maybe a little bit tired. You know, Tom Dumoulin basically skipped the tour after winning the Giro, skipped the Vuelta, and really spent the entire second half of his season primarily focusing on these two events. Mm-hmm. So I think it's no surprise that he came into it as the freshest and the strongest rider and he certainly revealed himself uh in that in that way yesterday. So right. and by the way today is Wednesday folks, so actually not yesterday um this morning. So yeah, I mean what about you? Were you were you shocked to see primus Roglic up there? No, not second? at all.
1: Um based on the way that he rode in the Tour de France uh and his in particular his climbing ability, uh, this course was you know there was a lot of talk about this time trial course uh for the elite men, the only uh, you know the the fact that they climbed this, this large hill at the end this to to Floyd, which was, I think, about three and a half kilometers long, average of nine percent, had some tricky switchbacks, made it tough to pace. Uh, there was some, you know, there was uh, the controversy about will riders change bikes. Should they be able to change bikes, that kind of thing. Um, to me, uh, I didn't see any major surprises there. Um, the guys who rose to the top, uh, you know, Tony Martin starting last uh, was, he was behind, you know, he was, well, probably 45 or 50 seconds behind, you know, even before they got to that hill. But it really underlined for me that, that the guys who were going to succeed on this course were guys who were not just pure time trialists, but were also very good at climbing. And, you know, you look at your top three, Dumoulin, you know, uh, overall winner at the Giro, Primoz Rolich, uh, you know, a stage winner on a mountain stage at the Tour de France, Christophe Frum, you know, overall at the Tour and the Vuelta, these guys are all guys who can climb.
0: Do you think Tony Martin's got a point, though? I, I I definitely sometimes wonder if by by ending something like the World Championship ITT mm-hmm. at the top of a three uh, of a three plus kilometer climb with a nine percent average grade, I mean, is that really making it the World Championship ITT? I mean, don't you think that if you're going to crown the world champion, it should be on a course that most people consider to be a traditional time trial course?
1: Yeah, I go back and forth with that one because, like, on the one hand, I agree that it was it was kind of a weird thing to tack on. Like, okay, we're going to do this rolling course, and you're going to do basically two circuits of it, and then you're going to have this super nasty climb right at the end. And that, you know, like, to the point of talking about the bike changes and all of that kind of stuff, like... If, you know, I saw one, a couple of points that like, you know, no guy shouldn't be able, allowed to change bikes. And one of the counterpoints I saw to that was if it's, uh, if you have to change bikes, should that climb be in on the course? Um, I don't know, I, I feel like. On one hand, you've got to be like to be it's sort of rewarded a complete time trialist, which Dumoulin is. Nobody's going to claim that Dumoulin is somehow like a shock winner of the of the uh, of the TT worlds, or that Rolich or, or Froome are you know are undeserving uh, podium candidates or that kind of thing. Um, they're guys who do well on. TTs of almost any kind Um, on the other hand it was kind of a weird ending to see guys like climbing to the finish to see guys doing these goofy like really bad cyclocross you know attempt at at, uh, switching bikes and that kind of guy slipping this stupid red carpet like it just I don't know it just there's nothing particularly wrong with it it's fine by the rules and everything it just seems sort of cartoonish to me.
0: Yeah, that's what I mean. It just—and don't get me wrong. I mean, Tom Dumoulin has proven himself on flat courses that he's one yeah, of the best-time trialists, saying, right? mm-hmm. as has Chris Froome and Primoz Roglic. Mm-hmm. So I'm not taking anything away from their win, but I really just felt that Tony Martin had a point. I mean— mm-hmm you do need to be versatile to be one of the world's best and i think it would be different if that climb were say in the middle of the of of the route yeah. so that guys they still had to climb it but they also had to pace themselves over the second half right. that that would also add a little bit more strategy to it i think yeah sure um uh, but but yeah i don't know it, it's something that i've often gone back and forth on myself mm-hmm. you know and, and even when we talk about the road race you know, mm-hmm. some years they say Oh, this is for the sprinters. Right. You know, I'll never forget back in the 90s when they had Worlds in Colombia, and you had Abraham Olano, Miguel Indoran, and Marco Pantani, of all people, you know, in it to win a rainbow jersey at the end. And it's – I mean, I don't know. Should every rider of every style or every type have a chance to win a rainbow jersey? I guess so, but Mm -hmm. it – it certainly leads it open to say, well, yes, you were the world champion in year X, yeah. but you did that on a course that right. looked like this.
1: Yeah, and, you know, it's interesting. When it came to the bike changes, it was interesting to note that neither Dumoulin nor Froome took a bike change uh, where they could have. Only Rolich of the three top finishers took a bike change. So did Nelson Oliveira, who finished fourth. Um, so, you know, Kiryanka in fifth did not. Um, Moscone in sixth did not. So, I don't know. Um it it was definitely it was kind of a weird course to me. I'm glad I, I guess what I would say is that I'm glad that guys who we know to be really high class time trialists still uh you know, pardon upon rose to the top. Um, because otherwise, you know, if you had a winner who you know was otherwise sort of a surprise i think that it would be entirely too easy for people to point to the course or point to the bike change and say well here's why uh thankfully tom dumoulin (laughs) saved us from that fate
0: absolutely absolutely um it was interesting rohan dennis you know a lot of people were talking about him as a pre-race favorite Mm -hmm. and um yeah, it didn't didn't seem to materialize.
1: Yeah, it's you know there was some rain for that last group of guys who went, and you know if if, if you weren't watching, it was it was very strange because they did two circuits, so they started enough guys basically to fill the circuit one time. Because otherwise you would be coming through the start-finish area as guys were starting. So they basically did like a block of racers and waited, did a block of racers and waited, and did a block of racers and wait, and then that was that. And Dennis, like all of these, you know, all these guys in the top ten, was in that last group basically, except for uh, Moscone and there was some rain late and with the cobbles where they were you could see guys were definitely holding back and I wonder if that was at least partly what got Dennis uh going I mean he lost a minute 37 so it's not like you could say well you know if it had been dry it would have been a different story and as well you know again we know that Dumoulin was racing on the same you know same rainy cobbles so I don't know I I, Dennis is an interesting case right now isn't he like he goes into races sort of tipped as a leader or a favorite and comes up short and then there are instances where he's not really looked at to do
0: well and does. What do you think's going on there? Well, I mean, I guess I would say, does he really do well? I mean, he does well as a time trialist, Mm -hmm. for sure, but I, I don't know. I can't look back on a stage race, you know, because that's the thing, is I think everybody has been tipping him to at some point break through as, as a GC yeah. contender in at least minor stage races. And I just don't see it. The guy can't climb.
1: Yeah, I don't know. I mean, he did he did get second at Torino this year. So, uh, But that, this year's Torino was not an especially hilly race. So. Yeah, and
0: Torino. I mean, ter- ter- I don't know. Torreno is always a different kind of race. It's, I mean, it's t- always uh, a little yes, weird. Yes, it's a stage race. It's always a little weird. But yeah. you've got guys there training for Milan-San Remo. Mm-hmm. You've got the Italians and the GC guys, you know, who are using it for training. Right. I mean, to me, I guess finishing second in Torreno wouldn't isn't the same as finishing second in. Roman D or Dauphiné. Right. Pay right? Yeah. No,
1: no, yeah. I agree. It, it's definitely, the, you know, he's been hyped as a sort of a up-and-coming stage race, uh, you know, hopeful for some time. And it's like, well, he's 27 and he's been a pro now for five seasons. So at what point is this actually going to happen? Or is he a really good time trialist who has some skills in, you know, in different hills and that kind of thing? I don't know. Yeah. So anyway.
0: Why don't we jump back? You know, we've spoke a little bit about Sky. We obviously implied that we have some thoughts on Chris Froome and the way that he won the Vuelta, um, or at least the way that he rode during the final weekend. Mm-hmm. So um, I, maybe I don't know. Where do you want to start? So yeah. Any? I mean, I guess looking back on the race overall, are there any surprises, disappointments, things that kind of you know stand out now that the race is finished?
1: Um. Uh Let's see here. Surprises. I don't want to say that it's a surprise, but I was absolutely impressed with uh, Matteo Trentin winning four stages. Um, a light yeah. sprinter's field for sure, not, but also not a lot of opportunities, and he basically won all of them. Um, you know, he went four for four on the opportunities where he basically had a shot, um, and he wasn't you know, as I looked at the sprinters, I don't. You know, maybe I just regarded him too lightly, but he was not the guy who I would have picked out to win four stages.
0: Uh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, maybe one. You know, uh, certainly yeah, when, I, he, won, I when don't, he won in the first week, but but not. Yeah, not four. I don't and want not to in criticize the fashion him. that he did.
1: No, I don't want to criticize him for that kind of thing. But I would I would have mm, probably much more readily have picked somebody like Degencold for that, uh, who obviously never got even close. Um, but. Yeah, so that to me was a little bit of of a surprise. Um, the another surprise, uh, as we talk about Sky, is sort of the emergence of Gianni Moscone. Um He was in incredible shape, as he's proved, you know, this week at Worlds as well. And I think, you know, to, for me, just to, just to tip it real quick, he's probably one of my dark horse contenders for uh, for Sunday, for the road race. But um, but it was. I don't know, it was, it was interesting to watch because he is a young kid, uh, he hasn't had a lot of experience in, um, in, in um, Grand Tours and he was riding extremely well late in the race.
0: Yeah, and early in the race. Yeah. I mean, you know, he was, he was kind of Froome's right-hand man, you know, um, was it stage three, I think, into into Andorra. Interesting, too, that this is a guy that's known as a time trialist mm-hmm. and as somebody that I think Sky picked up originally intending to be the future of their classic squad. So here he is, you know, rocking it in the hilliest grand tour of the season. Mm-hmm. Um so I guess kudos to Sky for again recruiting and developing, right? Um, you know somebody like like Muscon. Really, you think he's a dark horse for Sunday, though?
1: Ah, uh, maybe. Uh, we'll talk about. It. We'll we'll get
0: into it more later, okay. and I'll explain okay. my okay.
1: thinking. But but what about you? What what? Who surprised you from this Volta?
0: Esteban Chavez surprised me, but not in a good way. I, yeah, I really, right. I mean, obviously, and it's not just because I picked him to win. I mean, I, I, I really thought he would win, but I certainly thought if he didn't, he'd at least finish on the podium, mm-hmm. you know? I mean, considering that he was the freshest of the, of, of the pre-race contenders, I really, yeah, I was really shocked to see him not just have one bad day, but essentially just completely fall out of contention and fall apart toward the end. Right. Yeah. Um, And I think for Orica overall, I mean, to have the Yates also not finish that well, Mm -hmm. I think this was the Grand Tour that maybe they thought was going to be the beginning of the finishing pieces of their sort of Grand Tour winning plan, and it really didn't materialize that way. Mm -hmm. So I was certainly surprised for them. Um, Otherwise, I mean... I, I guess we can talk about Contador yeah. when he lost all that time early. I sort of thought, okay, here we go. Right. You know, this is not, this is not going to be a graceful exit from pro cycling for Alberto Contador, but man, that guy, I, I'm, I'm just, I'm just so impressed with the way that he raced. Um, it's easy to say coulda, woulda, shoulda, you know, had he not lost time, had he not had that bad day early on. But mm-hmm. to finish the race the way that he did, to finally win that stage, mm-hmm. you know, the, the the second to last day of the race on Angleru, that was just it was just a testament to his character, to his tenacity. And, you know, I think we can talk a little bit more about what his legacy is ultimately going to be. Mm-hmm. But I think we're I think we're going to miss having somebody like him in races next year.
1: Yeah, I I would have, I would say that his ride was one of the disappointments in the sense that the time that he lost on stage three completely changed the rest of the race for him and for Sky. You know, you look back, if he doesn't lose, what was it, like two and a half minutes or something that day, 210, something like that, um, then it's a completely different race, and he's able to, you know, he's able to sort of put the pressure on Sky in a different way, force them to ride in a different way, and potentially form alliances with guys like Nibali um, to, to put even more pressure on Sky. So that that was disappointing. It was, like you said, it was pretty great to see him come back and sort of finish off his career with this virtuoso stage win on, on Um But it was just, I don't know, it was a bummer that like he had to have the one bad day early on.
0: Yeah, and it's funny you point that out because there were definitely several times where I felt that the way that Contador was racing was actually helping Sky mm, because it wasn't putting pressure. Because I think I think Sky knew that it was going to take a miracle for Contador to threaten Froome mm-hmm. in the lead, mm-hmm. but he was doing enough to threaten the other guys behind Froome on GC. And so I think Contador wasn't putting pressure on Sky at all, but he was putting pressure on On other riders. So, in a way, he was sort of this, you know, a domestique for another team that was, you know, allowing Sky to sit back Mm -hmm. and sometimes look at other teams and say, hey, you want to lose third place? Because you may.
1: Right. Um, (laughs) Because you might. What do you think?
0: That said, yeah, Go ahead. I was going to say that said on Angleru, Sky sure seemed pretty intent on chasing down Contador. Yeah, and, um, and
1: I guess this brings us <laughs> to the to the concerns or the feels about Sky and Froome. And uh, I guess I was not impressed with the way that they rode stages nineteen to twenty, uh, or twenty twenty one, whatever you want to call it, the the Angleru stage and the stage to Madrid, um, because I felt like. Understandably like you guys want to get a stage win for for Woot Poles because he you know, rode his head off the entire race. But at the time that they jumped, I don't think that they had a realistic shot of catching Condor unless Condor absolutely blew up. And so to me it felt like almost gratuitous for them to do that. Um, it also concerned me that Poles was one was the one who was dropping guys, who was dropping, you know, f- who was dropping Fabio Aru, who wasn't, even though he crashed and, and hurt his ribs earlier, who was dropping Vincenzo Nibali. Um, that was a little concerning to me because, I, you know, we've talked in the past about, you know, Sky's financial doping and that kind of thing, but it just brought up some really bad memories for me of things like Postal and feeling like we have seen this movie before. Um, you know, I mentioned Moscone. Um, there was a moment, uh, I forget what stage it was, where a Conador attacked one of his many attacks. Um, and it was Moscone who chased him down. And I remember looking at, um, Amadi Piorelli's Twitter account, and, you know, Amadi does all these, you know, power calculations and that kind of thing, and estimated that on that attack that it was about, a cl- about I think, 17 minutes or so, that Conador was doing six and a half watts per kilo, mm. and he was being chased wow. down by Gianni Moscone, and I thought, wait, that's a really weird thing. Like, that doesn't make any sense to me, that it would be Moscone who was chasing him down. So skies. This guy's depth, the the strength of the team, I don't necessarily think surprised anybody necessarily. But where that strength came from and when to see a guy like Poles, who was you know had been going deep for three weeks and then on you know one of the steepest parts of the last climb of a of an incredibly hellacious three week tour, you know just basically lays down the power and drops everybody but his teammate. That was weird.
0: Yeah, it was, and 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 i guess creepy you know is a is a is is a way to put it you know yeah, it, it certainly out. was reminiscent of things that you don't want to be reminded of right um to me also i just found it to be douchey I, you yeah. know I, I mean i am still someone that almost looks at pro cycling as much as opera as i do sports mm-hmm. and so for me you know narratives matter mm-hmm. and 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 you can fault me for that if you will but that's just you know it's one of the it's it's one of the reasons i fell in love with this sport to begin with sure. and, and for me to see Froome and pools to me in my opinion trying to chase down contador whether or not it was possible mm-hmm. you know, i i just i just thought guys this is his final grand tour you know, he tried hard during during the Tour de France mm-hmm. to win a stage. He didn't. Right. He lost time during the during the first week. You know, basically took himself out of the game, which made life a lot easier for you. And now he's trying to win the the you know the final mountain stage in his final race. Right. And like, you can't let him have that. Like, yeah. I'm, like 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 woo you've done a great job, but you know you're going to get a fat bonus. You're going to get a percentage of all this of all this this right. These, this, this oh, by the way, the if you want to win
1: races, you might want to leave for another team. Yeah. <laughs> like, that's yeah, not I'm your sure fucking job here. I would love here. to have
0: you. <laughs> it, uh, it, just, it just struck me as douchey. Yeah. And then, you know, I guess to move to stage 21. Yeah, I was going to ask see, you. Chris what, <laughs>
1: Froome. What's more we, douchey? Polls or what happened on stage 21? Tell, is, uh, I think
0: stage 21 is worse. Really? Okay. I, 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 I yeah, I mean... Like, really, really, Chris Froome, you need to win the points jersey at the Tour of Spain. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's not enough for you to have won your fourth tour and be the, the first rider since, you know, I can't remember when to win two Grand Tour. Well, since 98 since to win 98, two Grand to win Tours two grand in a, tours. a season. Uh, like, like, you have mm-hmm. to win the points jersey, too. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, it's... Yeah. Uh, I, 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 it just... I don't know. It struck It really bothered me. It struck it really me as
1: weird, me. too, right? Because it's like, here he's been trying to win the Vuelta since 2011. And he's finally did it. And he finally did it in the year that he won the tour. And he's, he becomes one of, I think, only four riders ever to do the tour in Vuelta in the same – ever to win the tour in Vuelta in the same year. And like you said, and, like, uh, and then here you are, celebratory stage into Madrid, champagne, you know, all that kind of stuff. And you give a damn about keeping the points jersey from the guy who won four stages? Yeah, three at that point, yeah. but but like that you know, that I don't know. It struck me as strange that like that, that a guy like Matteo Trentin could win four stages and not get the points jersey. That didn't make any friggin' sense to me.
0: Yeah, and I understand that you know, you play to win the game. Mm-hmm. I get that, but but you did win the game, yeah. Chris right. You won you won the Tour of Spain. Right now, to me it's kind of like you're winning the game <coughs> and now that the game's out of reach, you're just going to keep trying to score points. Yeah, and, and and I just I just I thought it was arrogant. Yeah, I really I, just thought it was arrogant. You know,
1: everybody goes back to that Armstrong come the no gifts thing. You know, where he where he uh, you know sprinted and, and beat uh, Andres Cloden on that stage in the tour. And this is like, so people are like, oh well, no gifts. You know, it's like, well, this is I don't know. To me, it's like I was a little bit of a step past that. It's not like that you're not going to give a gift. It's it's that you're like going to go walk around and take stuff away from people.
0: You know, exactly. You
1: know, I don't know. I was yep. just like, I was like, you guys, this is why people hate you. <laughs> like, it's because you're just such dicks about everything all the time. So I don't know. I, congrats to Froome for winning the Vuelta. Um, but yeah, the, the behavior of him and the team, like, I think let's put to rest this idea that, that Froome is somehow a nice guy. Because everybody's like, "Oh yeah, he's so soft-spoken," blah blah blah. I'm like, "No, that's his public persona. That's what he does." But I don't. Everything I see is that that's not necessarily who he is as a person. That's not who he is on the bike for sure. So let's let's call it what it is. Like the, he's he's a he's an aggressive like, uh, I don't know. He's a, he's a hardcore bike racer, and good for him for that. But sometimes. There, there's a reason, you know, like to, to, to go back to your point about like, you know, liking some of the, you know, the, the sort of the more um, whatever the lyrical story aspects. It's like there's a reason that that stuff exists. There's a reason that you do favors for people. Like, so let's say at some point in the next year from, let's say he goes for the Giro, let's say, you know, or whatever. Like he's trying for his fifth tour. There's a point at which he's isolated and he needs, you know, he needs to work. Is Julian Alaphilippe going to work with him? Are other guys from Quickstep going to work with him or is, you know, are the directors going to be like, "No, let him do it on his own?"
0: Well, and let's not forget he's potentially now pissed off two teams because Matteo Trentin is going to Orica. Mm-hmm. Along with Mikel Nieve, right. so it's now. Now, I mean, now he's got now he's got two squads that are you know possibly going to be looking at him, being like, yeah. "Screw you, man." Yeah, probably I mean,
1: more Orica, uh, probably more orca. But you know, yeah, I mean, managerially, I think you know the the Quick Step guys will have a memory of that, and, and they'll just be like, "Nope, sorry." So you know, yep. I don't know. Uh, it, it definitely bothered me.
0: Here's the thing, though, and I guess I'm going to argue against myself. Okay, I feel like what Froome did was was very enoian you know oh, yeah. i mean uh, and, and yet yet we look at bernardi no i mean we call him the badger we glorify his 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 aggressive racing and his mm-hmm. and his tenacity but Froome, we don't and i guess i guess part of it is because of who Froome races for i mean this is definitely a case of the rich get richer right. you know we, you mentioned dollar doping a few minutes ago we spoke mm-hmm. about it during our last episode i mean uh, yeah, I, I, and, and, and and when you put it also with the comments that he made about salary caps and pro cycling, right. uh, uh, Yeah, I guess now I've I've, I've I've rebutted my own rebuttal. Well, you know, I, Bernardi knows a different case. The, the, the <laughs>
1: thing I would say is that you know the, the uh, I would fall back on the uh, the chestnut of you know uh, of Eno raced in a different time. Um, Froome is a stage racer and a time trialist. That's what he does. He goes and he wins stage races, primarily Grand Tours, and he does it by winning time trials in part. And here I felt like he's, you know, he's he's sort of like getting a little outside his lane. Um, and I guess the point that I would have with that is that like, sprinting these days is really, really woolly, right? There aren't massive trains anymore. We don't see, you know, the, the HTC Columbia trains ruling things for the last 5 or 10 kilometers, that kind of thing. So if you're going to put yourself up there and you're going to bang elbows, don't be surprised if somebody bangs back. So
0: Yeah, what if he'd crashed? That's the thing. Is, is, <laughs>
1: that's what I will say is, like, was it worth it for you to sprint for an intermediate points bonus knowing – that if you, you know, if a quick step rider cuts you off and you fell and broke your collarbone and didn't finish the race, that you would be the laughingstock of the entire cycling world. Like, was that really worth that risk? And, and then next year at the Giro and or the Tour, if he decides to put himself up there for this, for time bonuses or for whatever other purpose, then if I'm one of the guys who's going for that for points or for a stage win or that kind of thing, I'm looking over at him and I'm going to be like, I don't care who you are. You're in my space right now. This is my little world. We sprint. That's what we do. And if you want to play here, then it gets a little gnarly. And if you get bumped and fall down, it's not my damn fault. Mm. Yeah. Because you don't know what you're doing. Because you're not yeah. a sprinter. So I, I'll, I'll put that out there right now for 2018. Like, if that happens, you all can come back to this podcast <laughs> and say that we called it. Because I'll and I'll, I will say that I will have absolutely zero sympathy for Froome, just as I had zero sympathy for Mark Cavendish. You tried to shove, you know, you tried to put your body into a, a place where there wasn't a big enough hole for it. And sorry, that's how it goes. Better luck And I think
0: year. Cav would say that too, though, because yeah. Cav gets it as a sprinter. Yeah, I think Cav does get but, it as a sprinter. But you know that if Froome were to have crashed oh, while my going for that intermediate sprint, we'd be hearing about, oh, no respect for the red jersey. Right. You know, blah, 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 right. blah. Right, and that's
1: part of my point here is I just want to call preemptive BS and all that. Okay. So, anyway. Noted. Noted. We can move
0: on now. <clears throat> well, I guess— um, you know, we've we've brought up U.S. Postal. Mm-hmm. I mean, we've we've definitely made some possible comparisons to the sports shadier days. What do you think in light of some of Contador's experiences? How do you think he's ultimately going to be looked at? You know, now he's he's retired. Mm-hmm. He's done. I mean, I guess you, you you Joe Lindsay. I mean, how do you look back on Alberto Contador and his career?
1: I think any honest assessment of his legacy has to be basically start with it's complicated. Um, I think you can look at the guy and say that he was one of the best stage racers of his generation, uh, maybe one of the best stage racers of all time. Um, and you can also say that, you know, that, that yeah, he was a doper. Um, and I don't say that based on the, uh, based on the clenbuterol Buter things strictly. What I go back to is in 2007, you know, at the Tour de France, he was toe to toe, with michael rasmussen on the climbs a guy who you know later <laughs> in that race was 86th out of the race for the whereabouts stuff and who has later admitted yeah i was on absolutely everything you could possibly be on so let's look at conador at that time and the team that he was you know that the team that he came from liberty seguros manolo saiz the heart of operation puerto the team that he went to postal discovery you know like no but I, I don't think there's any real doubt about it. Like, yes, of course, Conradore doped. He probably doped a lot. Did he dope in later years? I have no damn idea. And so I think if you look at that, like, okay, he was an exceptionally good stage racer. Uh, he, I loved his racing style. I think if there's something positive that I want to remember about him, that's it, is that he raced basically giving zero fucks all the time. And I, especially yeah. in later years. And I love that about him. And I love that about his racing style and, and racing will miss that. Absolutely. But I think it's also entirely fair to say that, that he was very much a, um, uh, creature of his time in the sense that, yeah, he did dope. Mm.
0: Yeah yeah I, I would tend to agree you know I mean I don't like dropping the F-bomb more than I have to but you know giving the zero Fs was something that I really came to appreciate about him mm-hmm. particularly and we don't talk about Lance a lot um, but particularly when he was forced to race with Lance at Astana yeah. you know I mean the way that he handled himself during that tour was it 2009 2009 I yeah I you know I, I, I really I really had a lot of I had a lot of sympathy and respect mm-hmm. for him. How he came through and handled himself Here, in that situation.
1: Here's what I admire is that he is, to date, the only person who managed to meet Armstrong on his own terms and beat him. At the tour. Cause huh. Astana in two thousand nine was not Condador's team. The team was it I was absolutely it was split for sure. He had allies for sure. But remember that thing where like that day where he comes down to go get on the team bus to go to the time trial and they'd already left because, <laughs> yeah, know. because Armstrong was like, Yeah, fuck it, go. And so he and what did he and the great thing is is so he's sitting there, he's in his warm ups, his you know, his TT starts like a couple hours away, team's gone, there's nobody around. <clears throat> he very calmly pulls out a cell phone, he calls his brother and says, Hey, the team left me, can you come get me? That was it. Like, no drama. It's just such an amazing story. Uh, Like, yeah, it's great, right? Like, like.
0: It's great, too, because, I mean, like, I don't, again, I don't want to get into Lance. but It just is such a terrific example of what a dick he could be. Well, and and how. (laughs) I mean. And the thing is, like, how Connor how
1: that didn't matter to him. He was just like, all right, I see your game. Like, I see right through it. It's not going to bother me. My brother's going to come, like, Fran's going to come pick me up. I'm going to make it to the start fine. I'm going to walk up. I'm going to get on my bike, and I'm going to, like, I'm going to give you full stink eye for a couple of minutes, and then I'm just going to, like, do my warm-up, and then I'm going to beat you. How about yep. that? And that, to me, is, like, that's what I loved about Conradore, was that, like, he was... Absolutely unflappable. Look at this Giro, or look at this Vuelta. I mean, he loses two and a half minutes on stage three, is super far back. Doesn't give up. Keeps fighting. Attacks. Uh, I think Daniel Freeby did a, a really fun post on Twitter where he like looked at how many stages Connor and how many I times on stages. Yeah, you saw it. That Connor Conador attacked, and it was something like fifteen of the stages Conador put in an attack.
0: Like he just did. And he did it with emojis. Yeah,
1: yeah, he did it with emoji, and uh, it was just like. That like that was that's what I will miss about Conador, is that you know it, is that side of things. I I think cycling is will be much poorer for that, just as cycling was poorer for missing Mario Cipollini's personality. You know.
0: Yeah, and uh, you know it's funny because oftentimes we talk about how in order to win Grand Tours and 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 one day races for that matter, you have to be willing to gamble on losing them, mm-hmm. and. I think that the sport is growing increasingly more conservative, you know, mm-hmm. guys guys worrying more about their their spot on the podium for than sure. actually trying to finish on the top step. And and Contador really was that kind of rider that, that didn't, he didn't care about that, you know, the way that he won the Vuelta a few years mm-hmm. ago. I mean, after everybody thought he'd given up the race for good to Joaquin mm-hmm. Rodriguez, Contador goes on an attack that you know, had it not ended the way that it did, with him gaining back time and ultimately winning the, right. the Vuelta, it <clears throat> would have gone down as a monumental failure, right. and a tactical blunder, and 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 he was willing to take those risks mm-hmm. in an age when I think people are less inclined to take risks like that. Yeah, so I th- yeah, I, I agree. We're gonna miss him. And
1: I think, like looking at that, that you raise a really interesting point, and that is, to me, that point is like why why are most guys unwilling to take those risks, but Conradore was? And I think it was basically because Conradore, especially in later part in his career, was riding from a place of security that other guys don't have. Um, you know, he'd already won the tour. He's already won the Giro. He'd already won the Volta. at that point. Um, he'd won, you know, most things that i think he ever wanted to win he knew he wasn't going to have a problem finding a team to ride for even if that move blew up spectacularly it's not like oh well next year contadores out of the sport cautionary tale most guys don't have that kind of luxury right and, and so i think yeah. when they're looking at it, they're like yeah i better protect my third place overall here because that gives me really valuable uci points that i can use to get a contract next year or the team needs this result and that's more important than me going on a spectacular attack and you know and failing and dropping from third to 12th overall or that kind of thing so like i I think he came to it from a from a different place because he just had more freedom that way but what i would want to underline to to other people is yeah absolutely but if you don't take the chance you're absolutely not going to get the win you know if he'd sit on the pack that day and and you know protected his position or whatever then who would remember who would remember anything about that day yeah. So, anyway.
0: Well, hopefully he becomes a sport director somewhere and, and, you know, threatens his riders with having to ride their bikes back to their hotels if they don't attack at, at audacious moments. Venga,
1: venga, venga.
0: Venga, venga, venga. Well, um, I guess before we talk about the world, world Championship Road Race, a couple other things. The Canadian World Tour races came and went. Mm-hmm. Sagan won one. Tim Wellens won. No, no not Diego t- I'm Ulysses. thinking of um, Diego Ulisi won the other yeah. one. I don't know. Not much to see there. I don't think we learned anything that we didn't already know. Not
1: terribly. I think that the big thing that jumps out to me, as is, is we'll talk about in a moment, is, is this sort of the depth uh, and strength of the of the Italian team. And that Ulysses isn't even on the, the Italian team for Worlds. And yet, um, you know, here he was winning races over guys like Van Avermaet and Tony and So. Yep. Um, but no, in general, I don't, you know, Sagan's win was not a surprise I don't know. Um, I I think we're, they're, they're they're excellent races, but no, it didn't, it didn't show me anything where I was like, Oh, well, that's unusual. Keep an eye on that.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It'll be interesting to see. And again, we're going to talk about worlds in a moment. If, you know, you keep bringing up the Italians, if Matteo Trentin manages to do well, you know, Mm -hmm. it'll, it'll flip the narrative back to, well, maybe you should do the Vuelta if you want to win the world (laughs) championship.
1: Right. Right. Mm. (laughs)
0: Um, But I think the other big news that we need to talk about is Cannondale Drapak finding a new sponsor. Mm -hmm. Um, They seem to have saved at least riders that had contracts already signed for next year are going to maintain those contracts. Dylan Van Barle, unfortunately, it looks like they'd agreed in principle, mm-hmm. but the ink had never dried, and so now the rumors are he's gonna go to Sky. I think that's confirmed is, now, uh, isn't it? Is it confirmed? I think now? so,
1: yeah. I think he said he's absolutely I think the team and, and Dylan actually announced it. I haven't okay. seen anything to suggest that it's that it's still up in the air.
0: Yeah, I I don't I just didn't recall getting a press release from Sky. Right. I remember seeing Dylan <laughs> saying that it was confirmed, mm-hmm. but not getting anything right. from Sky. But but that's that's possible. They've obviously got a lot of other things to write press releases about. Um, I will say though, Joe, you know, while the announcement made me feel okay, we will finally we can finally rest assured that we will see this team in the sport next year. Mm-hmm. I still felt that there was a lot of you know ambiguity about the long-term future mm-hmm. and what this was going to turn into and now Slipstream's going to be owned by somebody else i mean you know it's been a busy couple weeks i mean i don't know did, did you find any more clarity in it than maybe i did am i missing something I,
1: to me uh, the biggest thing jumped out was um you know i when the news broke i i um had a conversation with Jonathan Vauters, and I asked him. It's just basically I was like, "What? What are the terms of the deal? Mo- mostly, how long is the sponsorship?" And he kind of dodged the question, but he dodged it in an interesting way, by saying that the plan was for uh, EF Education First to assume basically majority ownership of the team, um, which would put it more like how Sky works. Um, which would be really interesting because that would then sort of free them from having to chase sponsorship from year to year. Um, you know, the, I think that there's a lot of the specifics around that that are going to be worked out, and it's not like as of January 1st that, the, that EF Education First owns the team. Uh, it sounds like it's going to be vested over the period of several years, and so <clears> – <throat> you know, there's the devil's in the details. Things can always change. Um, but to me, that was the big thing is is like, is that something where finally now, not only does the team maybe have a little bit more money than they had in the past, but they have more stability than they had in the past too.
0: I guess, but I mean, okay, so now you're not at the mercy of your three-year agreements with various sponsors, mm-hmm. but now you're at the mercy of market forces, and if EF Education has a bad couple years profit-wise, mm-hmm. I mean, doesn't that mean that your team is essentially a line item that risks being cut yeah. at, with a moment's notice? Basically,
1: uh, I think in this instance, you know, what Jonathan and Doug Ellis did was decide that, that, that the potential upside of having a team sponsor slash owner was better than the potential downside of having a team sponsor slash owner. Um, but yeah, it does put them at risk. You know, it's like, if, like you said, if there's a bad few years or whatever, then, you know, is the team sort of a line item that can get cut? Um, you're relying on them to basically look at that as an investment, um, that if, should it go away, we'll give them a big line item hit rather than a yearly expense that if it, you know, if it goes away that they don't care about. So and and I don't, yeah. no, or not that they don't care about them, but that they're like whatever, that's not, <clears throat> that's not the materially important thing. So that's <clears throat> that's interesting. So that's a little bit different. Like I said, the only team out there that I know of that really has that kind of setup up is Sky.
0: I wonder if they'll get rid of Argyle. I'm honestly a little over it. <clears throat>
1: Are you? I don't know. I, yeah, I feel I like know. Argyle is sort of the identity of that team, <clears throat> just like. Um, I don't know. Uh, Turquoise blue is the identity of Astana. Mm. Uh,
0: Yeah, okay. All right. All right. Well, with that, should we end um, with a look to uh, the road race this weekend? Yeah, let's do it. Mm. In terms of the course, I don't know. I don't find anything particularly special about it other than the fact that the time trial had a bigger hill in it than the road race circuit does, which yeah. it, f- at least for the elite men is to me pretty disappointing. It's,
1: yeah, it's interesting because I remember when they announced Bergen as the, the site that people were talking about a hilly course. And, and as like, like you said, as I look at this course, I'm like, eh, okay, um, there's a hill in it. It's not particularly long. It's not particularly steep. It's not particularly close to the finish. Um, Will it play? I feel like if it plays a role, it's going to play a role because these guys have to go over it 12 times. Mm. But,
0: yeah, I I think whenever you see a course like this, it ultimately just comes down to attrition and who's the freshest at the end of, you know, one of the longest races of the year. mm -hmm.
1: Yeah, I mean, they'll do, they do 267.5 kilometers, so it's definitely not a a stroll in the park. Um, And most of it will happen on this 19 kilometer, 19.1 kilometer circuit that they do. Uh, (laughs) They start out basically by going down the far west coast the fjord coast but that section is short enough that even if there were crosswinds <clears throat> then there's no real point to you know to to any team like getting on the front and smashing it because they're still going to have 230 kilometers to race after that
0: yeah <clears throat>
1: but <clears throat> i don't know i mean it's an interesting course because it's not its not like last year where it's like, oh, this is a sprinter's course. Uh, and it's not like, you know, you mentioned Columbia um, years and years ago in Duitama and where it was obviously not a sprinter's course. This sort of feels like, to me, like a course where a lot of different guys can win. What do you think?
0: Yeah, no, I agree. I, I, I think that it could easily be a race that comes down to – the, the riders that everybody considers to be a contender, mm-hmm. but I think it could also be a year when a dark horse wins mm-hmm. because maybe, you know, I feel like worlds on, you know, world championships on courses like this, there, there is a, there's a pattern, you know, we're going to see a long break, you know, the early breakaway mm-hmm. escape that maybe has, probably doesn't have a rider from any of the contending countries. You know, this is where you're going to see somebody from, oh, I don't know, Singapore off the front, mm-hmm. you know, <clears throat> uh, in, in a world championship. Then maybe there's a bigger group that where the, you know, the Belgians, the Italians, mm-hmm. the Dutch, the Australians, they start to maybe send some riders up the road. Mm-hmm. Then I feel like it almost, it almost is like Milan San Remo to me, you know, then you're going to get this attack with maybe three or four laps left mm-hmm. where, you know if he were racing um, well if he if he races well, actually have we gotten final word on Vincenzo Nibali is he racing or isn't he i
1: believe he's not <clears throat> he
0: just okay, not that's what he's I not thought.
1: listed on the, the uci start list as of um, as of what <laughs> last saturday um, he's not um, on it
0: really cuz i see him
1: really i'm looking at the start yeah. list right now where are you looking at the start list
0: the one from the UCI website. Okay. Anywho, I'll All trust. Right. I'll trust you. Right. Mine says nine thirteen, right. so maybe it's a little. It's a little old. It's a little old. Right. Anyway, if you were racing, that would be the moment that 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 he goes for it. Basically, guys that would love to win worlds but aren't going to be able to out sprint the guys like Greg Van Avermont and Peter Sagan. So, but I guess that's the move this year on this course. That if you know you mentioned Johnny Moscone, I mean if he gets in the right breakaway with, you know, f- maybe three or four laps to go, two or three laps to go, I think we could see somebody like that, you know, staying away long enough to win. Mm-hmm. So it's going to be, it's going to be a crapshoot. It's going to be up to, I think, the bigger teams to try and dictate how things play out and basically, basically make sure that they've got a good enough rider to win in every major move. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. I, I don't know. So, I mean, w- You mentioned that this is a race where a dark horse could win. Um, Who jumps out at you?
0: I knew you were going to put me on the spot. Um, (laughs) Oh, gosh. I'm looking it over. Let's see. Can we start with favorites first? (laughs) Can we start with what? Can we start with the favorites? Yeah, first? yeah, sure. <laughs> Let's start with the favorites. I mean, well, I, OK, here's a guy, Julian Alphilippe. I don't think that he's going to be, you know, at the top of the list of guys that 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 is going to win Worlds. Mm-hmm. But I think that he's somebody who is good enough, is strong enough. You know, maybe Tony Gallopin. I mean, I think he's somebody that could pull off a win mm-hmm. um, like this, especially because France doesn't seem to have that that sort of hybrid sprinter type rider like a Michael Matthews, mm-hmm. like a Greg Van Avermaet, like a Peter Sagan. Mm-hmm. Um, so those are two guys that I think would be, would be dark horses. Um, I, I don't know. I mean, are there any dark horses to you that, 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 that stand out?
1: Um, <clears throat> yeah, a couple. And uh, this is again, where I sort of want to call out the, um the, strength of the men's uh, you know of the uh of the Italian team here um and let me just look real quick at it um
0: are you going to say Alberto Betty
1: <clears throat> no I'm not um as a matter of fact I'm going to say Gianni Moscone again um okay and I'm going to say Matteo Trentin to be perfectly honest would be uh, I don't know that you can really call him a dark horse after the. Vlata. I was going to say I don't consider him a dark yeah. horse. I
0: think he's a favorite. Yeah. I think he's right up there with and, Van Avermaet, Sagan, and, and I
1: misspoke. That Ulysses is in the road race. So, um, but uh, but yeah, I, I feel like those like the the depth of the Italian team to me is one that that matches up really really well with the Belgians, um, and the other guy who i would say uh, from that group is uh, tim wellens to be perfectly honest
0: well, is he a dark horse i mean tom tom boone himself said that tim wellens is his favorite to win the race really Yep. Uh,
1: yeah, but, like, uh, th- th- does anybody buy that? Like, maybe am- among well, the racers, I- but, like, they're, they're certainly going to give him respect. But are they going to give him more respect than they're going to give Philippe Gilbert or Greg Van avermont Like, if Tim Wellens goes no, up the road I in think- that late move, are people really going to chase him? Or are they going to look at Van Avermaet and be like, hey, buddy, do you what do you want to do?
0: I, I agree. <laughs> I agree. I mean, I-, I-, I think that if Tim Wellens wins Worlds on Sunday, it's going to be one of those things where we're – we're, we're not going to be surprised that he won a big race, but we are going to be surprised that he won Worlds. Right. Um, you know, uh, so I, I agree. I, I'll, I'll throw this out there. If you want a real Dark Horse app, ah, forget it. I'm no, wrong. go. Do I'm it. Wrong. No, you have to now. No, you have no, no, to. No, because no, I don't even think he's racing. Right. Le- you know, I'm worried now that my start list is inaccurate.
1: <sighs> I don't think it is, although it's, inter- it's interesting to look at these start lists and see how many guys are on the start lists, and that's what makes yes. me think that, it, that these are long lists so yeah. like Quitkowski on. i was is gonna on. say
0: eve lampard but i don't think he's lined up to do the road race yeah. so i think he just did the tt and he's done
1: right and like and michael quick is on the start list but he was also on the start list for the for the individual time trial and didn't race that today yeah and so i don't know um so <clears throat> if this is the fun with the uci folks is like you know here we are Literally four days before the before the men's road race, and we don't have a firm uh, a confirmed start list at this point.
0: Yep. Good times, but but that's part of the fun of Worlds, you know. I think Worlds is one of those races that I mean, it, it's actually I think kind of boring to watch, but until the end, it's like Milan San Remo yeah. where it just it's this slow build, right? You know, uh, of of tension and excitement. So right, mm. you know. Hopefully, hopefully we'll get we'll get a result. What about Sagan's chances, you know, apparently he's been struggling with some illness. Do you think that that's going to especially since he didn't do the tour or didn't finish the tour, mm-hmm. didn't do the Vuelta, do you think that illness could be just enough to kill his chances of winning a third rainbow jersey
1: absolutely uh you know you saw Dagenkoll pull out of Worlds because he had a respiratory illness um and speaking from personal experience having come home from Eurobike with some kind of chest respiratory bug that turned into bronchitis it's no if that's what's going around then that's no joke um and it will especially for guys at that level if you can't If you can't get close to your max power when you need to with 12 laps of that course, like, that's it. I'm sorry. Honestly, you'd be better off not to line up.
0: Well, and especially, too, you know, Sagan doesn't have much of a team around No, that's the thing.
1: The Slovakian team is how many guys? There's, like,
0: not a lot. There's seven
1: on the list, but, again, I don't think that they actually qualify all seven for that road race.
0: No, I think, I think at least two guys on every list are going to be alternates. Yeah, so, exactly. Yeah. And
1: so I think they have a max of five. And last year they had three. Uh, so obviously he's certainly capable of still winning. And, you know, last year was a course that, that you would have said as well, that like, well, you know, you need a team for that course. And he still came through. So who knows? I would never bet against Peter Sagan. Let me just say that. Mm.
0: Yeah. Well, do you have a pick then? Um,
1: I think I'd go with Wellens, honestly.
0: Wow. Wellens or Bold. Trentine?
1: One of the two.
0: I'm going Michael Matthews. Uh,
1: all right. That's a good pick.
0: I'd like to see a Belgian, but I think Michael Matthews is, I think he's confident after the tour. Yeah. You know, I feel like, you know, success breeds success, and I think the team is just really on a high note, mm-hmm. you know, after after uh, the other the other championships they've won so far this week. I just think, I think Mike, Matthews is going to get it.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, all right. All so. predictions guaranteed wrong we'll check back next week yeah, and seriously. find out
0: so, and so if you're in the UK and you have money on Tim Wellens or Michael Matthews, yeah you, you might want to you might want to do a
1: hedge side bet <laughs> 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 just so oh, you know it'll boy. be Caleb U and watch <laughs> Caleb U, oh that would be oh.
0: that would be that, that'd be something that that, that would, would be, be something
1: else yeah <laughs> anyway.
0: All right, well, Joe, it was good to catch up. Um, We didn't talk about cyclocross. I don't know. I just I can't talk about cyclocross when it's eighty degrees outside, and Mm. and yeah, it's just it's too early. I know that the World Cup started up. Um, I know that your boy Matthew Vanderpool took the first one, Um, but you know, I'm not even paying attention to Belgium.
1: I'm not even paying attention. I'm sorry.
0: Oh, that's that's harsh. I'm not in the states, dude. I'm really not.
1: (laughs) I'm sorry. Like, it's, it's September. It's the, like the leaves are changing. It's time to ride single track right now, not run around a parking lot in circles. All right. All right. No, that's, I'm sorry. That's where I'm at. Mm.
0: Uh, it's okay. That's all right. I hear you. You know, we still – I don't think you can start thinking about cyclocross at least until after the Tour of Lombardy. <coughs> yeah. That, to me, is kind of the, yeah. the official transition. At least October,
1: period. at least. I mean, come on. Let's, let, let's yep. be respectable here.
0: All righty. So um, our coverage of Cross is coming, but it's not coming today. So, Joe, thanks for making the time. Um, I appreciate it. I know it's been a little while. And don't forget, folks, you can find this episode and past episodes on iTunes, SoundCloud, Google Play. Um, feel free to reach out to us if you've got questions, comments, or wisecracks. Um, we certainly will love to field questions as we move into the offseason, at least road racing's season. Um, so, definitely feel free to reach out to us on Twitter at Ordelay or via Gmail, OrdelayCast at gmail.com. For Joe Lindsay, I'm Whit Yost. This is the Ordelay Pro Cycling Podcast.